Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Let me make this as monosyllabic as possible. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. everyone i'm em and welcome to verbal diorama episode 36 treasure planet and this is episode 10 uh the final episode of my animation season that i've been doing since uh, christmas time actually uh because it follows on from arthur christmas which was obviously at christmas akira kubo in the two strings the incredibles the lego movie spider-man into the spider-verse howl's moving castle my neighbor totoro and spirited away and I have loved covering this wide variety of beautiful, special animated movies. Um, and to be honest, I just hope it goes some way to proving the verbal diorama mantras that animation is not a genre and that animation is also not just for children. Um, animation is to be loved and respected and enjoyed by everyone. Um, and while I've featured, well, now 10 brilliant animated movies, um, there were loads that didn't quite make the cut. So movies that didn't make the cut include uh, The Prince of Egypt, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Shrek 1 and 2, Tangled, Coraline, Coco, Sinbad and the Legend of the Seven Seas, which was going to be the first ever episode of Verbal Diorama. Never happened. It will happen eventually. The Good Dinosaur, Chicken Run, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, Monsters vs. Aliens, Hercules, The Book of Life, Winnie the Pooh, Toy Story 1, 2, 3 and 4, Zootopia, Moana, Wreck-It Ralph, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, Castle in the Sky, Incredibles 2. They're all on the big list, <laughs> all of them, um, but they're not scheduled. Here's some that are scheduled. Um, and they are going to be coming at some point in the next, let's say, six months or so. So, Princess Mononoke is coming. Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest is coming. The Lego Movie 2, the second part, is coming. Um, 
I, I did moot on social media recently about doing a second animation season because I really, really want to. Um, and to be honest, the feedback I got was that mm, people aren't really that keen um, on another animation season. But do you know what? It's my podcast. So uh, chances are I won't do one anytime soon. I might do a different season, maybe sort of covering a different uh, an, an actual genre, perhaps. Um, but for the time being, I think I'm just going to carry on mixing and matching with loads of different things because that seems to be what people enjoy. Also, this episode, this Treasure Planet episode is the first episode of the second year of Verbal Diorama. Um, and 35 episodes in a year is a great achievement for me personally. Um, a big thank you to everyone who gave me such wonderful feedback on the three Studio Ghibli episodes that I released because they all came out on the same day. And that was just a feat in itself to try and get all those done in a week. Um, but the feedback has been so wonderful on those. Um, so again, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who sort of was so congratulatory on me reaching a year of podcasting which is just I mean still blows my mind completely that I'm sitting here talking into a microphone um and putting it out on the internet but obviously if you're new to verbal diorama welcome um as one person recently said on on twitter to describe me um they said that I'm honest and full of unabashed glee um and that's kind of what you can expect from this podcast I guess um, I try to be as honest as possible about these movies, um, mainly because I try to give all the facts. Um, and sometimes the facts aren't completely positive, um, especially if a movie didn't do so well. Um, but I always try to be kind and I always try to find positives. I never want to be nasty or mean about a team of people's hard work because at the end of the day any movie that you go out and see at the cinema it doesn't matter how terrible it is there's still a massive team of hundreds or thousands of hard-working people that made that movie you know and um and so I try to look at it in a in a positive way and I'm usually full of unabashed glee about pretty much everything. <laughs> so I always try and see the world of movies as positively as possible. Um, and positivity is required moving forward um, for Treasure Planet because it's a movie that I had never seen before. Um, and I haven't really done that since Titan AE, um, a movie for this podcast, I mean. Um, and, and it's funny, actually, because this movie is quite comparable to Titan AE. <laughs> in many many different ways and there were ways that I weren't I genuinely wasn't expecting um I wanted to cover Treasure Planet because I'd heard really good things about it I'd heard some mixed things about it as well um but I, I'd mainly heard how you know stunningly beautiful it was and so I really wanted to cover it because it's I feel like it's one of Disney's kind of unloved and it's almost kind of hidden away now. People don't really talk about these movies, uh, sort of post-Disney Renaissance movies. Um, and so I really wanted to cover one. And it was either this or Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And uh, honestly, this one was slightly highly uh, more rated. So I chose this one. Um, but <laughs> instead of me waffling on, uh, let's hear a clip and let's talk about Treasure Planet. November 27th. Mr. Yokan there, right? Beware the cyborg. 
appears to be some kind of map. This is the moment Jim Hawkins had always dreamed of. Whoa, treasure planet. Now, he's determined to go for it. This is my chance to set things right. I don't want to lose you. Make you proud. Robert Louis Stevenson's greatest adventure, Treasure Island, as it has never been seen before. All hands to station! Walt Disney Pictures presents Treasure Planet. How cool is this? What are you looking at, weirdo? Yeah, weirdo. Brace yourself. or anything that resembles flesh. So, in a synopsis for Treasure Planet, young Jim Hawkins is a troubled teenager living on the planet Montressa, the son of a single mother who runs a rundown hotel for space travellers. Jim is trying and failing to cope with the fact that his father abandoned the family years before. One fateful day, a mortally wounded alien crash lands outside the old hotel and delivers a mysterious sphere into Jim's hands with three dying words. Beware the cyborg. Thus begins Jim's quest, a search for the treasure of fabled space pirate Captain Nathaniel Flint, chaperoned by the absent-minded Dr Delbert Doppler, who joins the crew of the RLS Legacy, helmed by Captain Amelia, her first mate, the sturdy Mr Arrow, and a motley crew, including a cyborg cook named John Silver as the crew mutinies against the captain and Jim, Delbert and Amelia crash land on Treasure Planet. The cast for this movie, um, I'm going to put it out there and say it's it's a really great, well-established cast. So you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jim Hawkins, Brian Murray as John Silver, David Hyde-Pierce as Delbert Doppler, Emma Thompson as Captain Amelia, Martin Short as Ben, Roscoe Lee Brown as Mr. Arrow and Laurie Metcalf as Sarah Hawkins. That's Jim's mother. It was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. The story was by Ron Clements, John Musker, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. The screenplay was by Ron Clements, John Musker and Rob Edwards. And it was based on the legendary story Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, And just talking about Ron Clements and John Musker especially... Um, because they're a couple of really interesting chaps. You may remember Ron Clements and John Musker from other Walt Disney classics, such as Basil the Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, The Princess and the Frog, and Moana. These guys are like the creme de la creme of classic Disney. Um, These are directors who are pretty much at the top of their game. Um, And this is a story uh, that's basically one of the most well-known literary classics of all time and this is being generally put together uh, at the animation studio that 
is considered the greatest in the world. And you'd think that a movie with this much pedigree would have a really easy journey to the big screen. But nah, not so. <laughs> uh, so the story of Treasure Planet, as it currently is, uh, actually started way, way back in 1985. Uh, it was originally kind of concepted as Treasure Island in Space. Um, and that idea was pitched to Michael Eisner at the famed Gong Show by Ron Clements. So the Gong Show is a massive meeting where anyone in the creative staff could pitch any idea they wanted. Um, it's a little bit like uh, a clay pigeon session where the pitches are the clay pigeons and the executives would either shoot them down or pick them up. Michael Eisner didn't much care for this Treasure Island in Space idea and that clay pigeon got shot down. Um, but they also, um, Musker and Clements, they also pitched The Little Mermaid and he loved that idea. And we obviously all know what happened. The Little Mermaid went on, it got made and it was a massive success for the studio. Um, and, you know, they pitched again. They wanted Treasure Island in space and instead they got Aladdin. And at this point, uh, Clements and Musker were probably wishing that the genie was real so that they might actually get their wish granted for this Treasure Island in Space project. Um, and obviously, following the release of Aladdin, which was, again, an, another incredibly massive hit, I talked about it on this podcast, about how much I love Aladdin and what Aladdin does so well. Um, but they were quite determined. And so they pitched the idea for a third time. And this time, it was to Jeffrey Katzenberg who again just was like, nah, I'm not interested in this. This is a terrible idea. Um, and at this point, uh, Clements and Muska had directed some of Disney's biggest hits um, and they felt that this constant rejection was unjust. So they ended up taking it to the chairman. So the chairman was Roy E. Disney um, and he backed them and he basically made his feelings known to Eisner and obviously Disney didn't want their directors to leave. They'd had a really good time of it so far with them they'd made them a hell of a lot of money and so when their contracts were renewed in 1995 they it was basically agreed do one more movie for us do hercules so they told musker and clements do hercules and then once hercules is done we will let you do treasure island in space and to be fair at this point jeffrey katzenberg um he wasn't too happy with the situation and there was some real bad blood with Michael Eisner at this point um, and Jeffrey Katzenberg ended up being fired and this led to the formation of the rival animation studio DreamWorks. Obviously DreamWorks went on to make Shrek um, which again was a massive success for them. Musker and Clements ended up making Hercules and Hercules was a reasonable success but it wasn't the biggest success it wasn't as big as I think they that Disney really wanted it to be um I mentioned a bit earlier on about Hercules this is the version of Hercules that I really really do want to cover only because I feel like their take on the Hercules myth is quite interesting to say the least um and the idea of capitalism and commercialism in Hercules is very, very interesting. And the music is good. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Hercules, I will do at some point in the future. But going back to Disney, um, they actually stuck to their word. Uh, well, they had to. It was contracted. And as soon as Hercules wrapped, Clements and Musker were granted their wish. And they started production on Treasure Island in Space, which was now going to be called Treasure Planet. Um, and it's worth noting that this was not the first time Disney adapted the classic Robert Louis Stevenson novel 
So there was a live action Treasure Island, um, which came out in 1950, which was actually Disney's first completely live action film and also the first on-screen version of the novel that was in colour. And also in 1996, Muppet Treasure Island, which was a Jim Henson production, came out, um, which interestingly, I found out, uh, got sued by the makers of Spam. Um, It's genuinely real. Look it up. Um, (laughs) So truth be told, although Musker and Clements were completely in love with the project and they set about making it as bold and beautiful as they could, um, several factions of Disney were less convinced um, and one of the biggest concerns seemed to be this teenage protagonist Jim Hawkins Um, and the question of would audiences really relate to this kind of moody brooding teenage character Um, and quite a lot of Jim was actually changed because quite famously um, changes to help Jim included um, the prologue of Jim as a small child with his mother this was before his father left, showing a young boy fascinated with space, ships and stories. Um, Previously, the start of the movie was a monologue um, from older Jim, um, but they felt it didn't endear the character enough. And I'll come back to Jim a little bit later, um, because as I said, this movie has a really astonishing pedigree. Um, So I really want to start with what Treasure Planet does so incredibly well. And that's how it looks, because it's seriously gorgeous, um, even and especially for a movie that's now 18 years old, pretty much. Um, it's beautiful. Um, the traditional animation mixes with the CG animation almost seamlessly, which is some feat, especially when you look at something like Titan AE. Um, and as I said, there are many comparisons here with Titan AE, and I'll go into them a bit later on as well um but titan ae came two years before this movie um and i mentioned back on that episode about how the cg animation sometimes felt a little bit jarring um and it kind of takes you out of the beautiful hand-drawn animated world because it doesn't feel quite right and here with treasure planet the cg enhances that hand-drawn aspect um there's just enough but not too much to not enough to kind of distract you from the hand-drawn stuff, um, but enough for you to be just stunned about how lovely it looks. Um, as I said, I've never seen this movie before. I watched it for this podcast and straight off the bat, it was just so visually pleasing. I was actually quite enamoured with it and a little bit wowed with it, actually. Um, and the parts that really stood out for me um, include the shot of the tilted crescent moon. And as the camera zooms towards it, only to find out it's an artificial satellite. It's called Crescentia. I'm not going to say that word right, am I? Uh, <laughs> which is, uh, it's a spaceport. Um, and it's where they board the RLS Legacy, which is obviously named after Robert Louis Stevenson. And gosh, it's pretty. Um, and the visuals still stand up today. It's really genuinely impressive. Um, and, and I'll admit, I really wasn't expecting this movie to wow me as much as it did with regards to its looks. Um, And the other thing that is just constantly impressive is the cyborg of Beware the Cyborg himself, John Silver, and his cyborg arm. The creation of that cyborg arm is quite interesting. Um, And so this is where I'm going to talk a little bit about Deep Canvas, because Deep Canvas um, was initially created for Disney's 1999 hit Tarzan. 
Um, and Deep Canvas allowed two-dimensional characters to move through a painted three-dimensional computer-generated environment. And most famously in Tarzan, it was used for his movements through the jungle canopy and how he interacted with and slid down the trees, basically. Um, Deep Canvas was created very much like uh, an actual canvas painting down to the pressures of the virtual brush and, and every single brush stroke, basically. Um, Tarzan really was a hell of a lot more revolutionary than most give it credit for. Um, and honestly, Phil Collins, I love Phil Collins. <laughs> genuinely love Phil Collins. I think the soundtrack to that is great. But it, it, it genuinely feels like a movie that people dismiss almost because of when it kind of came out, people weren't that enamoured with Tarzan. But... When we're talking about the technological advances at the time, um, Deep Canvas really sort of gave Tarzan a bit of an edge. Um, and although it wasn't really used all that much in Tarzan, it really kind of set the scene for movies going forward and, and what movies could do. Um, the other difference with Deep Canvas was that the camera could actually track a path through the environment. Um, and and obviously items in these environments could be copied and pasted, um, which saved time. Um, the only downside was uh, when they were making Tarzan, which obviously came out in 1999, um, the technology was slightly limited at that point. Um, once the scene was rendered, it couldn't be reused elsewhere. Um, and actually... Deep Canvas as a technology was only used for 10 minutes worth of Tarzan. Um, and I think Tarzan is just under 90 minutes long. So it's less than 10% of the movie. Um, for Treasure Planet, at this point, this the technology was a, a few years on. It was a bit more advanced. And the entire virtual 360-degree sets could be constructed using deep canvas um, and at this point it could also be easily modified it could be reused and it could be relit as well um, and unlike Tarzan where the camera tracks were set before the rest of the work um, and so it was very limited to what that camera could actually do um, for Treasure Planet's deep canvas they, they could use multiple different camera angles. They could change the camera setup at any point. Um, and because of this and because of the, the technology improving so much in those few years, um, Treasure Planet actually is about 75% deep canvas, um, which is obviously a significant uptake on Tarzan's usage. And it really shows because it's really pretty, guys. <laughs> it's a really, really pretty movie. Um the, the ship, the RLS Legacy, as I've said, it was named after Robert Louis Stevenson. It's a different name to the ship in the original book. I'm not going to talk about the comparisons between this and Treasure Island, the original book, because there's too many. There's just too many. They changed a lot for this movie um, to make it, to try and make it as relevant as possible. Um, but they obviously wanted to honour Robert Louis Stevenson, so they called the ship the RLS Legacy. Um the whole ship was made using the technology, um, as was John Silver's, um, and I'm really struggling not to call him Long John Silver, to be honest, uh, his cyborg arm um, and his eye. Um, the cyborg arm specifically just looks so great. Um, it genuinely looks like it's attached. And I pay really close attention to stuff like that because I'm I'm not a bit of a stickler for it, but I, I like to make sure that it looks right. And I know that probably sounds really geeky, but... It genuinely felt like his actual appendage. It genuinely looks like it's attached to the hand-drawn part of his body. The way it functions feels part of the character. Um, interestingly, they actually tested 
that deep canvas arm on Captain Hook from Peter Pan. Um, there's uh, videos of that on YouTube. It's really fascinating. I just please go and have a look, and and you'll be just completely wowed by how they made Captain Hook have uh, a mechanical arm. Um, but his arm is a genuine work of wonder. Um, and it, it's also, it's fascinating and slightly unsettling in equal measures because when you're introduced to the character, you're not sure of his intentions. You kind of know he might be a bad guy, but then he's kind of nice. So yeah, the things he can do is also a little bit unsettling. Um, there was also a specific rule that they followed uh, when making this movie. And it was called the 70-30 rule. Um, and this rule was applied not only to the look of the movie, but also the music and the sound effects. Um, and in 2002, CG animation was becoming commonplace. Um, and Disney itself was looking to create more computer animated features in-house. Um, but because Treasure Planet was essentially going to be Treasure Island in space, the filmmakers agreed on this 70-30 rule because they wanted to ground the project in its swashbuckling heritage, whilst also embracing the futuristic science fiction aesthetic. So 70% was to look traditional. And when I say traditional, I mean traditionally animated, traditionally looking and traditional sound. And then 30% CGI and futuristic look and um, futuristic sound. And um, the RLS legacy uh, was 70% galleon ship and 30% space vessel. Um, and that, it really does give it this unique look. And it also has this really lovely warm colour palette as well. There's loads of golds and orange and red. And, and it really makes it feel kind of homely, um, especially on the ship itself, especially the scenes in like Captain Amelia's quarters. Um, it just really looks homely and the way it's lit from the back of the characters and to the point where the the sort of shading on the side of the characters is it's really kind of intricate detail but it really adds something to this movie um it really does make it look special um there's actually parts of it almost look like they were made for 3d um and by that i mean Parts where the bow of the ship is kind of coming towards the, the camera, so to speak. Um, but from what I can gather, it was never made to be 3D. Um, I did actually see that someone had put a petition online about re-releasing Treasure Planet in 3D. Um, I don't think it got very many signatures, but um, I think it would be very, very easy to re-release this movie in 3D because a lot of the... 3d-esque kind of stuff does seem to already be there um of course this movie is notably one of the last 2d animated movies created by disney and shortly after this movie was released disney closed its burbank studio uh, and hand-drawn features continued to be made but over at florida which was a cheap studio uh, disney continued to make 2d animated features they released brother bear in 2003 and home on the range in 2004 but in 2005, their first fully computer animated movie, Chicken Little, was released. In 2009, uh, the same team of Musker and Clements released The Princess and the Frog, uh, which also combined uh, 2D animation with uh, 3G computer generated animation. But the studio just, that was it. There was no more 2D animation coming out of Disney. And everything since then has been completely um, computer generated which is very, very sad. 
while Treasure Planet um, is just absolutely stunning um, and it attempts to kind of reinvent the Treasure Island story as a space jaunt, essentially, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some things that watching it now, uh, 18 years after it came out for the very first time, really didn't seem to work for me. Um, and you may disagree um, because obviously this is just my opinion. And again, I'm I'm not going to be mean about it. This is just my opinion on the way the movie made me feel, I guess. Um, and one of those things is sort of tonally, the comedy seems to miss a beat for me. Um, when it's not using outdated pop culture references um, like go Delbert, go Delbert. Um, it's very reliant on fart jokes. And now don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love a good fart joke. Um, I love poop jokes, sex jokes. Um, they make me laugh because I genuinely am a child. Um, but this movie, it wanted me to invest in the relationship between Jim and Silver. Um, and I was quite invested in that relationship. And I kind of felt that the the fart jokes kind of seemed a little bit out of place. Um, some of the changes that they made, um, such as the change from a barrel of apples to a barrel of some of the random space fruit. I don't even remember what the space fruit's called. But again, I just kind of felt like, why why wouldn't you use apples in that scenario? Um, the introduction of Ben, uh, who comes quite late in the movie as well, felt similarly jarring. Um and Martin Short is a really funny guy, um, but it seems like they took Robin Williams' turn as Aladdin and just said to him, oh, just do it like Robin Williams would do it. And it, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like... It feels a bit tacked on, in all honesty. Um, and and even while the relationship between Silver and, and Jim does kind of work because you do feel empathy for their situation... Jim's not the most engaging protagonist. Um, and if I didn't know it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I wouldn't know it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt at all. And this is a bit like how I felt with Matt Damon in, in Titan AE, because I felt that like Drew Barrymore, for example, was so recognisable as voice talent. And it was like, but who's playing Kale? And it's a bit like this with Jim. It's a, it doesn't sound like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and I don't know why, because he's got quite a distinctive voice, but it just doesn't seem to come through. Um, and I think this is partially why Disney didn't really know how to market this movie, because it seems so tonally jarring. The bits that work well, work extremely well, but they seem to be brought down by the stuff that doesn't work um, another thing that does work for me is the absolutely always wonderful, fantastic, incredibly talented Emma Thompson. Um, she's not given a great deal to do, which is, again, really sad because I'd love to see more of her in this movie. Um, but the little time she's given on screen um, just packs so many punches. She is sharp on the script. She is there. Um the, the movie actually goes out of its way a little bit to injure her <laughs> so that she's not in the action. Um, but she's her Captain Amelia is awesome. Just her voice work is just on point. The way she enunciates her words, um, her the, the script for her is amazing. 
Um, and I found out she actually had quite a lot of input in that, into the character. She helped mold the scripts. Um, you can tell that Emma Thompson did that because of the words that she uses. She uses very, very specific words. It's just, it's such an Emma Thompson role. Um, she's a badass. She's a badass space captain. Um, and she's also a, a female space captain. She's treated quite disrespectfully um, when they board the ship because they think that Mr. Arrow is the captain. And it turns out to, that is not true. Her voice is unmistakable. And she gives this movie a real gravitas. Um, along with David Hyde Pierce, um, this character of Dr. Delbert Doppler was written for him. Um, and they, kind of along with John Silver, are the absolute highlights of the cast. Um, I want more Captain Amelia and I want less Jim Hawkins. And to be honest, that doesn't bode well for this movie. <laughs> um Comparisons to Titan AE, as I mentioned, are inevitable for me um, because watching Titan AE a year ago and watching this, I'm just constantly reminded of the similarities. Uh, they both have male protagonists uh, who both lost their fathers. They're both disrespectful. They both find a map that leads somewhere important. They both find father figures in the movie. Um, both movies have a traitor with a heart of gold. Um, and I was reminded of Titan AE all the way throughout Treasure Planet. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I still think that Titan AE is not a terrible movie and Treasure Planet is similarly not a terrible movie. They both have really great things going for them. They were both just very unfortunate, similar movies that flopped at the box office at similar times. Um, so... Treasure Planet actually ended up costing $140 million and it only ended up making $109 million. Uh, it actually opened at fourth at the box office in the US in November 2002 behind Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Obviously, Harry Potter is going to dominate. Die Another Day, which is James Bond. It might not be the best James Bond film, but it's still James Bond. And third in the box office was The Santa Claus 2, which... Okay. Uh, and um, even though it was the first movie that was simultaneously released in IMAX, um, still didn't help it, which is a shame because this is the sort of movie that you want to see in IMAX because it's bloody gorgeous. Um, I mean, you could say, well, maybe people just don't like pirates. And I guess you'd be right if you look historically at pirate movies. They don't tend to do very well. Um, but less than a year after this movie came out, so in the following summer, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl came out. And obviously I've covered this on the podcast. It's a movie that I love completely. I did it with Sade from Offscreen Babble. We both love Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Not so much the sequels, but listen to that episode for more on that. Um, and obviously Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl made a ton of money. Um, so maybe people did like pirates, but maybe just not space pirates. Um, who knows? When you talk about Disney movies, a lot of Disney movies are musicals and they have m majestic musical numbers. Um, but obviously this is not a standard Disney movie. Um, it's not a musical. It has a lovely score by James Newton Howard. Um, it's kind of less futuristic, more classical. Again, taking inspiration from the 70-30 rule. Um, there are a couple of songs by the Goo Goo Dolls' John Resnick. I didn't know anything about John Resnick until I 
listened to the song and I thought that sounds a little bit like Iris um and Iris is the only Goo Goo song Goo uh, Goo Goo Dolls song that I know so it sounds very similar to Iris and also there was a British boy band called BB Mac years ago um they apparently did a song as well um there's nothing in this movie that's immediately as catchy as something like part of your world or friend like me um and again that kind of if there was a song in this movie that was really catchy really memorable and it really encapsulated this space pirate kind of theme it would just make it would elevate this movie but because there isn't anything like that the movie just kind of it languishes and it's just like it frustrates me a little bit because I want this movie to be appreciated. And if it just had that little extra something, the a little bit extra to do with Jim Hawkins, to make him a bit more memorable, to make him a bit more likeable, just anything like that, the music, make the music a bit better and it would just elevate it. Oh, it's annoying. Anyway, anyway, um, so this movie... Obviously, it was a feat of animation. Um, It did get nominated for the Best Animated Feature Academy Award, but it lost. Um, And it lost to last episodes, actually, uh, Spirited Away. Um, And it never stood a chance against Spirited Away, ever. Nothing would have stood a chance against that movie. So it's great that it got nominated because it deserved to get nominated. But nah, Spirited Away is just, it's, it's better. I I can't say it's not better than Spirited Away. Um, oh, this this episode's actually become quite frustrating because I'm finding that there's there is there is problems is problems talk properly there are problems uh, with this movie, uh, but there's so much greatness in here, and I think I said the same for Titan A.E. There's so much wonderful something bubbling under the surface. But it just never kind of explodes. It just kind of simmers. Um, and it, it should explode. It deserves to explode. Um, anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. Because this is something that I like to do. Um, I like to try and link uh, a movie that I'm featuring with the one, the only, my future husband, Mr. Keanu Reeves. And it turns out that this is easy. This is really easy. This is one of the easiest ones that I'm ever going to get because Keanu Reeves was considered for the role of Jim Hawkins. Um, and honestly, I'd have been really down for that. Um, and I, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There's so many movies of his on the big list. Um, I'm not going to name them because I do want some things to be a surprise. But I think he's so talented. Um, but he and he's done better work than this. Um so yeah, I'd I'd have been down for Keanu. Um, I don't think Keanu could have made the character any better. Um, but it, yeah, it would have been nice. I'm not going to lie. Um, right. So over to social media thoughts. So I always ask um, on social media, so on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, for people's thoughts about movies that I cover. Um, and I wasn't expecting a massive amount for this movie, um, but I got enough. Um, because I, I just don't think it's a movie that many people have seen. Um, I think if you've seen it, then I think you'd find something to like. Um, so 
On Twitter, our friends over at The Midnight Myth, Derek and Laurel, said, Oh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. I saw it a long time ago and remember being really impressed with the animation and the creative reimagining of the source material. I also love Treasure Island and I think it lifts perfectly into the sci-fi adventure angle. At Hanzago said, It's great and so underappreciated, kind of like Atlantis the Lost Empire. Which is interesting because uh, I was going to do Atlantis and I chose this one instead. But um, over on Instagram, at Mobisize said... Fun show. Would you call this steampunk space pirates? Um, maybe, I guess. it's. I guess it is quite steampunk. Um, but I think it's a bit more than that, to be honest. Um, at Why This Film Podcast said... It's a lost gem with a beautiful song and an excellent adaptation of the original literary classic. It would be number one if the Muppets hadn't got there first in the 90s. And do you know what? I've never seen the Muppet movie. Um, I might have seen bits of it, but I haven't seen it in its entirety. So I can't really comment on which one's better. But at the moment, it's my favourite adaptation of Treasure Island. So yay. Um, and at TMI Podcast 2018 said... Family favourite. Which is great because it is a movie that you could watch with your family. Um, it's definitely less adult, I guess, than Titan E. Titan E contains a lot of blood and a lot of death. Um, and obviously this has got death, but it's Disney, so it's Disneyfied death. Um, over on Facebook, uh, Eric said, It's a pretty fun adaptation of the story, and I can see why it's so loved. Beautiful music, great visuals, strong voice work, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Hyde Pierce, Emma Thompson, etc. Emotionally effective chemistry between Jim and Silver, and wonderful direction by the great team of Clemens and Musker. While it's not my top favourite of the underrated Disney films of that period... Atlantis the Lost Empire and the Emperor's New Groove or Disney adaptation of the original Treasure Island story Muppet Treasure Island always makes me laugh and I feel spoiled after seeing Robert Newton's amazing and defining take on Long John Silver in the 1950 version I still enjoy this version and will always take a watch if it's playing and recommend it to those who haven't seen it Musker and Clement's long journey of trying to get the film made is very interesting to learn about as well and he finishes with yeah this be an excellent movie says I <laughs> And Andy said, I've been meaning to watch this for a while, going to put it on my watch immediately just for this show. Which is great. And I hope you do, Andy, because I definitely want to hear, if you see it, what you think of it. It's important to note that this movie is not a bad movie. Um, it's not as bad as I think some people say it is. Um, it has some real genuine moments of joy and heart and genuinely really does impress um i was impressed and i didn't think i would be um atlantis the lost empire obviously is also on the list and i'm actually really fascinated to see that now um because it predates this it's actually kind of sad that disney had such a hit earlier in the same year um with the lower budget lilo and stitch um and musker and clements were so keen on this idea they worked so hard to get it made just for it to falter and fail is genuinely quite heartbreaking um especially as disney were really going through a bad patch sort of post the disney renaissance that ended in the sort of late 90s early 2000s um in time i'd like to think the treasure planet will retain sort of cult classic status um it's not an iconic movie but it looks iconic and i think it's worth it for that if anything um, I feel like I'm ending this episode on a bit of a downer, but I, I genuinely do think this movie is great. It's not perfect, but it's well worth your time. And I think I said that with Titan AE as well. Like, just 
give it a chance especially now in the uk uh we've got disney plus coming towards the end of march i've signed up for a a year-long subscription for disney plus i'm hoping that treasure planet will be on there even though i now own it on dvd um but i i'm just so interested to see some of these lost classics some of these movies that i've never seen such as um atlantis the lost empire thank you for listening Uh, As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Treasure Planet. Um, So the next episode is going to be delayed. um, And I'm going to be completely honest and upfront um, because the podcast is going to go on a short hiatus because I'm going to be moving house. Um, I know this is something that I've been talking about for a while. It's finally happening, guys. Um, It's been going through solicitors uh, and estate agents and all of that. But it's finally happening Um, But to do so, I'm going to obviously be packing up one house to move to another. So I'm going to go on hiatus. I hope it won't be for long. Um, I'm going to post information on when the podcast is going to come back on social media accounts so that you know what's happening. Um, But it's probably going to be a few weeks um, because I need to obviously get internet sorted at my new house and everything. Um, So the next episode will be the first episode from the new house uh, which is very exciting um and when it does eventually arrive um it's something that my homies uh, and by homies i mean patrons Sade, simon hardy al claudia simon derrick and laurel they already know that i prefer fashion victim over ensemble challenged and with the new version of emma that's currently out in cinemas um i'm going to be covering one of my favorite ever movies And the best version of Emma that I've seen, which is, of course, Clueless. Um, Clueless is a movie that taught me many things, including the definitions of the word tardy, the word sporadic, and that it was that Polonius guy that said, to thine own self be true. So I'm going to go on a short hiatus, hopefully only for a few weeks, and then I'm going to be back with a bang, whatever. I have to add that I've not seen the 2020 version of Emma, But I have heard it's good, Um, but as if it's as good as Clueless. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... Okay. I actually did say, I can't remember who I spoke to on social media, but I threatened to turn this into a song. Um, Let's see how I get on. Um, I'm not going to do a song today, but um, yeah, I'm just going to do a list. So... Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992 and 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, Arthur Christmas, Akira, Kubo in the Two Strings, The Incredibles, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbour Totoro and Spirited Away. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. Oh God. That is getting long, guys. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show on Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash verbal diorama. The tiers start at $2 a month. They're all Keanu themed. Um, You get fab perks. You get access to the upcoming schedule. So you will know that the next movie is Clueless. You will also know what next month's movies are as well. 
you get a shout out on the next episode. You also get a shout out over on Twitter and you get episodes early. Um, sometimes you get them a couple of days early. Sometimes you get them a day early. Sometimes you get them 12 hours early. It really does depend on the, the schedule and my schedule and how I'm doing. Um, but I do try and make the majority of episodes available early. Um, I have to obviously say as well, a massive thank you to Simon, who's one of our patrons, who recently upped his tier. Um, and when I messaged him to thank him, he said it was because he enjoys the episodes so much. Um, so and they are his words, not mine. So a massive thank you to Simon um, for being so wonderful and generous. Um, you can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Uh, my website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave a review or a rating, you can do so on iTunes. That will help to get more people to know about the podcast, which would be brilliant. Um, you can do that on iTunes. You can also do it on Podchaser. Uh, I would really appreciate either or both or either or one or whatever. Um, that would be awesome. Um, I also have a column over at Film Stories magazine. Um, it's an independent British movie magazine. Um, I talk about podcasting and I also recommend great movie podcasts. I would love it if you would support it. So you can do so by going to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. You can purchase one-off copies. You can subscribe. Um, I also do bits for film stories online. So I also have a British movie podcast recommendation that I do. I also have a little iPlayer list. And I'm also working on something that I hope will be out very soon in the next few weeks on a topic that I am just obsessed with um, and I'm hoping to also publish that as well. Another thing that I like to do, I like to end it with a final thought um, and my final thought is a quote from the movie and it's a quote from John Silver and I think it's a really great quote as well um, because I think it applies just generally in everyday life. You've got the makings of greatness in you but you've got to take the helm and chart your own course Stick to it, no matter the squalls. And when the time comes, you get the chance to really test the cut of your sails and show what you're made of. Well, I hope I'm there, catching some of the light coming off you that day. Bye. <laughs>